Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Uh, Noah, you, uh, you know, here's the thing. So we have two leaders of the House and Senate in Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer yesterday played this whole complicated game about a vote on the bill to this, uh, the reconciliation, and he changed his vote at the last minute so he could bring up the vote again, and it failed, but it was a test. And then, and Rob Portman said they would have another, they would have the infrastructure bill ready on Monday, but Schumer needed to see what the test was, or the blah, 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 blah. Uh, and uh, maybe this was a good move, maybe it was bad, maybe it was procedural, maybe it was smart, maybe it was, but I, as I, as I keep saying, like, we actually don't know if Chuck Schumer is any good at this job, he's never had it before, and we don't know if he's skilled, we don't know if he's you know, a good, you know, sort of Machiavellian or knows how to play this game. And then, so that's one Democratic leader. And then we have Nancy Pelosi universally thought of as a very skilled speaker of the House, except, uh, you know, that basically in 2019, she didn't want there to be an impeachment hearing. And then there was an impeachment. Then there was an impeachment that Democrats lost. And then she wanted to condemn Ilan Omar, and she wasn't able to condemn Ilan Omar. And then there was this, and then there was that. And so we're told, oh my God, she's magnificent. She is just the greatest speaker of all. What a genius she is. It's amazing to see her work. And Noah, you think she has made... Um, l- l- please give us your interpretation of Nancy Pelosi's latest uh, move. I mean, I've been writing for the website for years now that she's quite clearly lost a step and has demonstrated a real lack of strategic insight when she's, you know, trying to negotiate among her, her caucus and is rolled, in fact, by members who have no no power whatsoever, including Ellen Omar, essentially ceding them power. And her latest uh, debacle, in my view, uh, is regarding the January 6th commission, um, which Democrats voted into existence, which will include a bipartisan selection of members and uh, among them, uh, the uh, Republican members of this commission, uh, the uh, House uh, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy gets the opportunity to suggest—not you know a point, but to suggest members to this commission—and he's selected um, two members, I think, who are probably going to de- who were designed to represent what Republican voters, what they think Republican voters want to hear, which is a defense of Donald Trump's actions on January sixth. Those members were uh, Jim Banks and Jim Jordan. So Nancy Pelosi just summarily rejected both of these members as uh, participants in this commission and did so with no discernible logic behind it. She said that it wasn't because that they rejected the certification of certain closely contested states in 2020. It was more about their general demeanor, um, that they're sort of irascible. Um, Guess what? That's every single member of Congress, not even just the House. Um, All of these are performative uh, players in this game. And this only provides Republicans with all the fodder they need. They would have said this anyway, but more uh, substance to justify the claim that this is all just a partisan um, effort to, uh, you know, tar Republicans generally 
with the association with Donald Trump, it's hard to find members in the Republican conference who are willing to defend Donald Trump's actions on January 6th. It's just point of fact, it's difficult to do because it's indefensible. Um, so you, when you find members who do that sort of thing, like Jim Jordan, who don't have as much scruples as perhaps other members, um, then they're performing a role that Republican voters want to see them perform. Kevin McCarthy is compelled by political necessity to appoint at least one or two of these voices to this commission who will make a, a charade of it. That's what they want to do. One of the funny things uh, in Kevin McCarthy's statement expressing outrage over this maneuver by Nancy Pelosi is, well, we're just going to pursue our own investigation of January 6th. All of a sudden, they really want to investigate January 6th and do so in a, in a real scrupulous manner. Um, but I, I just I don't understand her end game here. This was always going to be the outcome. There was always going to be some Republicans who wanted to make a hash of this thing, just you know, really muck up the works and muddy proceedings. And somebody will perform that role, whether it's Jim Jordan or Jim Banks or somebody else. Somebody will do it. Um, maybe she wants them to be less capable than them. I don't know. I don't know what she's thinking here. She, she, but she, this is where she makes, you're right that she makes these missteps. You use the word performative about how the, the Republicans were behaving, but that's when Pelosi herself often makes missteps. It's when she's performing for her her bubble, for her media bubble, for her for the progressive bubble. Remember when she like you know tore up the State of the Union address after after Trump made it, and you know the way she's behaved with dealing with the anti-Semitism stuff, and because you know she's posed on the cover of Rolling Stone with these ladies, how dare you know how could she uh, criticize them? It's when she drinks her own Kool Aid in terms of her own uh, sense of what the media tells her her power is, rather than actually exercising power as it should be exercised by a Speaker of the House, which she can do. We've, we've seen her do that effectively as a leader. But I think she's now erring more and more often on the side of playing to Twitter rather than, than actually exercising her power in an effective way. And this, this strikes me as another example of that. Republicans I, I, always uh, want to... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Abe, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't see this as being um, so problematic as you guys. Uh, what if her thinking is, what if, what if, despite what she says... She doesn't have tremendously high hopes for this commission. She, she doesn't. She doesn't think that um, w the country will actually gain much uh, in, by way of enlightenment in terms of uh, what Donald Trump was actually up to uh, on that day and uh, who the participants really were. What if? What if she doesn't have particularly high hopes for the outcome, and therefore just doesn't want to be seen giving the Republicans anything? That's that's the that's the I, most. I have but she did. She did. She just did. She gave the Republicans were always going to brand this thing a partisan farce with a predetermined outcome. And they she just gave them the talking point. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I got to go. I got to go sort of with Abe or even further than Abe. I, I don't know what possible uh, what she did wrong here. I mean, politically, I mean, uh Jordan and Banks and the and uh, and the the other they were going to sit there. Uh, their their purpose was going to be to try to blow up the commission while it was going on, and so uh, and make a mockery of it and be there. That was why that was why she was. That's why they were chosen. And if that's why they were chosen, then I don't see what cost it is to her. To pull them off it, and then for McCarthy to say, "Okay, none of you, you know, no, no none of the six of you can do this." Uh, Liz Cheney will be on the commission. It's possible that Adam Kitzinger will go on the commission, and so there'll be 
and and so the commission will be what the commission will be but having it having it sort of trashed internally by having you know a uh it didn't have to be this way it, it's not going to come to any conclusions but that's the, the but that john your opinion is predicated on the assumption that there's nothing more to learn about january 6 and that's not true it's just not true. No, your your assumption you're... is that this is a, a, a an exercise in just gesticulating wildly in order to make a partisan point. You're the one who then said yes, that. Yes, that makes sense. You're the one who said that, not me. No, no Republicans think that. Yeah, so so Republicans think, think that. that. Republicans think that. They appointed people to the commission whose purpose was to make it that and she's and and so whatever machinations happen here, they're gone from it. Now, I don't know what the consequences of that are going to be. Neither do you, but I, I don't see what error she made. What error? I mean, honestly, what error did she make? By by, uh, by giving Republicans a talking point? So they gave her, so, so, so well, she, it's, a talking she, point with whom? A talking with Republicans. Point with whom? Well, Look, she, Republicans were always going to brand this a farce, but the findings of this commission are unknown, as you say. Yeah. So what and by, ten, you... by preemptively tarnishing them, by, by tarnishing them right now as a partisan exercise, it, only all, undermines those findings. It's also unprecedented in terms of how these things tend to work, right? She was allowed to appoint minority members to the Benghazi Commission without any objection. I mean, th- this is setting a new standard for partisanship uh, when the majority party is constantly reminding everybody how polarizing the Republicans have made our politics this is an example of her doing that with the Democrats in terms of how these things tend to function. I mean, she could have just let them sit there and make fools of themselves, which they likely would have on this commission. It, they are, it's not like he, they're stacking the entire commission with, with deniers that you know, who have stopped the steel folks. These are just a few members who have this more extreme view. But, you know, the fact that Liz Cheney is also on it suggests that, you know, it's a wide range on the right of people who are going to be on this commission. And I, I'm with Noah. I think, I think politically, I mean, it is, it, it just suggests more of an entrenched partisan approach to these issues when this is the party that was saying, we have to get to the bottom of this. We have to understand. We have to heal the nation, et cetera, et cetera. She's not doing that with this kind of yeah, but Yeah, but there, there's no way for her to do that. I mean, I don't want to defend because I really don't think she's, uh, you know, I mean, I think I don't really think she's that skilled or that she did the right thing or the wrong thing. I just don't know how it's the wrong thing. If this commission is something that Republicans are going to reject summarily even before it begins and 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 they're going to have, you know, two people on the commission whose purpose it is going to be to destroy the commission from the inside – I don't see the political error that she made. So she handed Republicans a talking point. They're going to have the talking point anyway with the people who are going to... Fine, when she's in the minority, they'll spite her people too. I mean, I just... Yeah, a a competent political manager of affairs here wouldn't provide Republicans with support for a predetermined outcome. We don't know what the commission is going to turn up. Obviously, Republicans are going to say this is a political farce, but the findings could speak louder than the talking point if you don't give it any oxygen. She's giving it oxygen. I don't agree. Because it's going to take a year for the commission to report. It will report if if its findings are. It doesn't matter what happened in in July 2021. If the report comes out in July 2022 and has all or how whatever comes out and has all kinds of damning uh, information that is that that is unassailable. I mean, it doesn't matter well, it what matters happened if yesterday. Trump, it, it matters if Trump wants to run again. 
if it's a, something that, that can be broadly accepted by people on the left and the right as a fact-finding bit of information like the 9-11 Commission was, it will have an impact on the next presidential election, if not the midterm. Yeah, but it's not ever going to be that. It's never going to be that. But okay, but then you're all you're predetermining the outcome of this thing. You're saying you're not, but then you are. I'm not predetermining anything. I'm talking about the politics as it stands. You said Pelosi made a mistake. I don't see where she made a mistake. You're arguing that she made a mistake either substantively or politically. We Both. don't know whether she made a mistake substantively, and I don't see how she made a mistake politically. Because the people whose talking point, who's who are getting at the talking point, is saying this isn't this isn't fair or it isn't right, uh, and are going to listen to it, are already you know harsh antagonists of her and the Democrats. Now, if what you want is a serious investigation into January sixth, let's hope they can do that. But it sort of doesn't really matter whether Jim Jordan and and Jim Banks are on it or not. In that case, it's of no consequence whether they're on it or not, unless they actually want to do things like figure out ways, as I say, to sort of destroy it from the inside. Okay, but think about the but but look, we're we're seeing this in very Manichaean terms about like partisan Democrats and pro-Trump Republicans. There's a vast middle of people who actually would like to be able to put their faith in Congress as an institution to investigate what happened, who would like to see a commission with subpoena power, would like to see a 9-11 style examination of the events before, during, and immediately after, and learn from them. And I think that that those are the kind of people who whose whose voices don't get thought about in the discussion either among Pelosi and her allies or among Jim Jordan and his allies. And that actually, in terms of what's best for the American people, I think that's why I, I'm with Noah on saying Pelosi's, whether or not she's playing into anyone's partisan political hands, she's making a mistake here. It's a mistake. She's the leader. And she could say, yeah, let's let the crazies on. Let's let them do their thing. Let's, you know, let's show the American people that we take seriously an investigation of this nature and let's go forward with it. And they can reveal themselves to be absolute crazies. I just, I, I, I'm disappointed that I mean, it's become I'm this. Not say, I'm not saying you're not, you're, you're not, that you're counterfactual here, you're can, whatever you would call it, uh, isn't, isn't right. I'm just saying that I, I, of all the things to criticize her for for making a you know sort of like a an unforced political error, I, I just don't see how this is her unforced political error. There was no good play here because, and I have to say this because Republicans are 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 irresponsible and disgusting when it comes to when it comes to January sixth. It's appalling. The Republican caucus in the House is disgusting. They are. They have behaved in a craven, horrible manner. They are rewriting history as we're watching it. They don't want. They are worried. They're scared of Donald Trump. They're scared of being primaried. They're scared of their own voters, and um, or scared of the most partisan of their voters. And they've behaved in an unseemly, unmanly, and and uh, and and an unprofessional and un-American fashion. And so. Uh, that's the problem here. The problem here is them. It's the Democrats are not the problem. Honestly, she, Kevin McCarthy appointed a, a pretty broad spectrum of Republican uh, approach to January six. Jim Banks, Jim Jordan, and Kelly Armstrong of North Dakota, who also, uh, 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 oh, I'm sorry, rather uh, Rodney Davis and Kelly Armstrong, both of whom uh, were critical of their party's approach to uh, 
the certification of the 2020 election results. So by singling out the people she doesn't like and not the people she does like uh, among the Republican conference, it, it only gives Republicans more uh, more reason to say that they want a predetermined outcome here. And Kevin McCarthy was, he was representing his caucus, his conference rather. I mean, all of us object to certain oh, members not, of this I, conference, no, 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 but it wasn't, it wasn't like a pro-Trump of, you know, all pro-Trump appointments here. No, no, so to single them out is just gives away the game. No, I, I don't. I, I, the problem is the Republican caucus and, it, you know, the, the vast majority of the Republican caucus, which is supine, craven, spineless, unprincipled and partisan in a way uh, to, you know, out of, out of, out of, out of they're, they're chicken. They're chicken and they've now had six months to rewrite all of these events in their own heads to now decide that they're defending the Republican Party from the evils of the partisan Pelosi. Now, I think Pelosi is incredibly partisan. I think that a lot of the ways that, that, that January 6th have been characterized are preposterous. I don't think that the Republic was in danger from that riot. Uh, but I do think that it was one of the most uh, reprehensible events in my lifetime. And the fact that they, a lot of them are becoming apologists for it and that McCarthy is an effectively become an apologist for it or, you know, an anti anti apologist for it or whatever you want to call it. Um, that that's the, that's the circumstance. So if you really want to, if you really want to look at this and say, who's at fault it's it's not pelosi if you could have if republicans hadn't gone wobbly and gross on this there could have been a whole variety of opinions on this matter that involved people whose baseline was something went wrong here let's figure out what it was and then they could have been the rational check on eric swalwell's and adam schiff's determination to say that you know uh, that the Reichstag fire had happened here. But your characterization of the entire Republican conference is exactly what Nancy Pelosi wants to project. That the entire Republican conference is of one mind on January sixth, yeah. and it is not okay. true. It wasn't even true to the appointments of this commission. What do you? What they want about? to do is characterize the entire Republican conference as reckless, irresponsible, and all of them committed to revising the history of that day. And it's not true. Uh, it is pretty true. It is pretty true. Who threw ne- who threw who threw Liz Cheney out of leadership? Who threw Liz Cheney out of leadership? The Republican caucus. Why? Because she opposed and was a voice against January sixth and Trump and voted for impeachment. Okay. So I didn't. Rodney do that. Davis of Illinois yeah. voted for the for the, one of the thirty five Republican moderates who voted right. for a bipartisan commission. Kelly Armstrong signed a letter criticizing objections to Joe Biden's electoral certification. Uh, Troy Nails is a freshman. We don't even know what he thinks. This is the sort of stuff that Nancy Pelosi wants to paper over. By no, she only said she threw off Banks and Jordan, and it was it was McCarthy who took the others off, not her. She which she probably wanted to do anyway and had an excuse to do it now. Whatever. Look, I'm just look. I'm just saying as a polit- as a political analysis. I, we we we're of, we're of different minds here, and I think ultimately, as a sort of practical moral analysis, uh, McCarthy saying, "Oh, if you if you're not going to take Jordan and Banks, you can't take anybody." Uh, now, I take Christine's point that you know, you're creating a precedent for 
um, really unseemly behavior by by the by the majority that you know can be that can be used in subsequent will be used against Democrats uh, next time this happens. But okay, I mean, look, this whole thing is a this whole thing is a farce. I mean, it's going to be a farce. Uh, nobody's going to trust the you know the outcome and. Um, and yeah, I mean, if uh, yeah, some Republicans voted uh, for a, for a, for a January sixth commission, they're the ones who killed it. The Republican Party is the ones who killed the who killed the the January sixth commission. I mean, a failure to make distinctions among the members, I think, is is just flawed. It's just frankly flawed, and it's exactly what Democrats want to do. Well, uh, let show me anybody aside from Liz Cheney and Adam Kitzinger who has shown any ability to stand up and say this was a terrible thing that happened after the first week i mean i just don't i don't know what you're talking about what i'm describing is reality here they they their their behavior if you think that this was a terrible event that needs to be investigated and needs to be and needs to be dug into and all of that which i i Look, I, I think these commissions are usually horrible, and the results are terrible, and I don't, you know, whatever. But um, if if you think that such a thing should have happened, then such a thing should have happened. It didn't happen, and it's not the Democrats' fault that it didn't happen. It's the fault of the Republicans in Washington that there is no bipartisan commission investigating January sixth. It's not Nancy Pelosi's fault. It's just that's just the fact of the matter. And if Kevin McCarthy appointed four good, you know, four people who were, uh, you know, who aren't Jim Jordan and Jim Banks, fine. So he could have let them continue to serve. But he won't let them continue to serve. So, so much for his determination to create a good spread of, uh, you know, opinion here. I mean, I I don't know. Look, I'm not. I'm just I think everybody everybody's been hoist on on a petard here and 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 for once I just don't think that the that the villain of the piece is Pelosi either politically you know or strategically but you know we can we can uh, we can agree to disagree I mean and we'll we'll know we'll know when the commission reports and we'll or whatever the committee reports and we'll see uh we'll see what comes of it um and so uh Maybe I should talk to you about fast-growing trees. Because you've probably upgraded a few things around the house after being stuck inside. Made sense. Now it's time to turn your yard into a paradise with FastGrowingTrees.com. Skip the large big box stores and head to FastGrowingTrees.com, the world's largest online nursery. No more waiting in lines, messy cars, digging through a lackluster selection. Just go to FastGrowingTrees.com and choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, and plants expertly curated to thrive in your area and delivered to your door in one or two days. Whether you're looking for shade, privacy, fruit trees, or just added color for your yard, every plant is shipped with a well-developed root system ready to explode with new growth. There's a better way to buy trees and shrubs and plants for your home and yard, fastgrowingtrees.com. Now through July 31st, I am sorry. Uh, Take advantage of the 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, which means your plants will arrive happy, healthy, and ready for planting. And if you go to FastGrowingTrees.com before July 31st, you will get 15% off. That's 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com slash commentary. A couple of fruit trees and berry bushes can produce hundreds of pounds of fruit per year. Plant care and growing advice at your fingertips 24-7. And live plant experts are phone call away seven days a week. 
fastgrowingtrees.com slash commentary. Joe Biden had a town hall, CNN, last night. I didn't watch it. Uh, I gathered that uh, he got uh, very confused. Uh, the right is laughing at some parts of his confusion. The left is laughing or concerned about other parts of his confusion. But he did repeat what he said earlier in the week, which is that his trillion reconciliation and infrastructure package will not have any inflationary effect. It will be good for inflation. It will help inflate. It will help counter inflation. He said it again and again and again, said it three times, said earlier this week. Why is he saying this? Because of course it's preposterous to say it. I mean, it's possible that it won't have an, it won't have an inflationary effect, but the idea that it will help inflation uh, you know, go back into its, uh, into its hole, uh, is, uh, Meshuggah. So, uh, you know, at the, at the very, at the very best, why is he saying this? Well, Axios reveals that Celinda Lake, the Democratic pollster, has been having focus groups and, you know, poll- do, doing polling and all this. And remember, polling is good with Democrats. Democrats are responding to polls and they're giving accurate information to pollsters and all that. Because they like pollsters and they like to talk to pollsters. And they are very worried about inflation. People are worried about inflation. Americans are worried about inflation. It's apparently rising to close to being the number one uh, concern of the American voter. Particularly non-college educated women who she says are going to be the uh, swing voters that will help decide the midterms. Uh, And it's... She, she says women are often uh, the bellwether here because they're the ones who are doing the shopping. They're doing the shopping, uh, household shopping. And so all these ideas that, well, you know, inflation's only used cars and it's only, uh, you know, it's only because of chips and, you know, it's only because of chip shortage and all of this. Apparently, ordinary people going to the supermarket, going to the gas tank, going wherever they're going are having real everyday concerns about the rising cost of living. And so the Biden administration can do two things. It can sort of whistle past the graveyard and say, okay, you know, no, 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 this is going to kill it. This is going to be, this is going to help inflation, which um, is the sort of thing that uh, you don't really want to say because I think when it's probably not true, because boy, can that be used against you? I mean, can someone spend $500 million in advertising against you in 2024 when you say stuff like that and the inflation rate is at 5 or 6 or 7% a year, if that happens? So you just don't want to put yourself in that position. You don't want to have that video that we now have of Biden saying, no, 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 it's going to help. Um, and uh, and also, um, you know, maybe you should do something about inflation because that's really bad. <laughs> it's inflation destroys – inflation um, – is one of the single most destructive, not only economically destructive and socially destructive and all that, but for politicians' careers, uh, you do not want to be on the wrong side of inflation. But but hasn't the Biden administration been kind of like the squid? Like they they keep like releasing ink and then trying to dart the other direction. And the ink is the confused messaging around inflation because it isn't just that he's, so now he's saying, oh no, you know, it's going to actually make inflation better. First, they denied inflation was happening, right? Then the second stage around 4th of July was to tell you, you've got 14 extra cents to, to spend on your 4th of July barbecue, because look at all these extremely selective things that people don't usually use for barbecues that we're going to say are cheaper now. All it takes, that ad has written itself already. If you if you watch conservative media, they've 
already been hammering this and appropriately so you just list all the things that cost more between last year and this year or a few years ago and this year and you can see it all and it's basic stuff it's bread it's milk it's gas it's it's the stuff that people need to go about their daily lives and when you're when you're in the middle class that is a noticeable uptick in your weekly grocery bill, what it costs to feed you and your family. And you do see it. You see it when energy bills rise for the same reason. So people are not stupid. He is gas. That's a kind of very light gaslighting. But again, that's three different strands of messaging that they've done so far. And I'm not and none of them stick because none of them are the truth. Well, and the problem with trying to do this on inflation, trying to shape the perception of something that is happening while you're speaking um, is the challenge. This is not like, you know, foreign policy. If you if we pull troops out of somewhere, by the time there is some parlous result, there are five other intervening factors that could be blamed. You know, uh, the, the this administration may not even still be in office. You know, this is entirely different. This is, as, as Christine says, you are seeing the results, the, 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 the the um, all the pieces involved in inflation move as decisions are being made and and get passed on um, much more quickly. This is so I don't know how he intends to do. And this. it's occurring at a time when rates are functionally zero. I mean, we have like inflation along the lines of what Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, described rapid inflation, her own quote, over the next couple of months. And we still have rates at nothing. So not only is your money worth less every day, but you're you're not saving anything. You're not generating any interest which is the worst of all possible conditions. Second, we have this COVID spike and the administration is being lobbied very heavily uh, from outside organizations and from within the administration, as we discussed yesterday, the Surgeon General and Anthony Fauci, people like that saying, don't listen to the administration on masks. Listen to the American Association of Pediatrics or what have you. All these people were saying, bring masks back, which will arrest the economic recovery. So the Biden administration is staring down the prospect of two two conditions, two complementary conditions, which will arrest the economic recovery. And you have to, only a galaxy brained armchair Twitter liberal could not see these two conditions as death to the governing party. Look, I mean, there are, there are inflationary, there are aspects of, of current inflation, like moment to this inflation, right at this moment, they're likely transitory. I mean, what we one of the things we know over the last thirty years is that is that when gas prices go way up, that's often transitory. There's no reason to think that three months from now, gas prices will remain high or as high. Um, but right now, you know, if I went to the pump yesterday, it's fifty cents higher than it was four days ago. I mean, again, could be transitory. But, you know, when it cost me $40 to get 10 gallons, when it cost me $30 to get 10 gallons a week ago, um, if I'm like an ordinary, you know, non-college educated woman, you know, filling my gas tank, and I see the same effect at the supermarket, and I see the same effect in various places, including my gas bill uh, at home, I'm getting scared. Like I can, I can, I can deal with the ten dollar uh, increase, and and sort of anybody can sort of deal with a transitory ten dollar increase. But there's no reason for them to believe that it's going to be transitory. We don't know if it's going to be transitory. This one, you know, big ticket thing of filling your gas tank, and um, it doesn't help to say this. I mean, maybe it helps 
because you're you're in the process of trying to convince people to support your three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation budget package. Uh, what and and you're saying whatever you can say to not you know not to sort of give Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema any excuse to say I'm sorry. I mean, it's such a great bill, and there's so much wonderful stuff in it. But I just my people in my state they're just so scared of this inflation thing and i just can't i'm so sorry you know like that and so they're trying to figure out some way to make sure that they don't say that um but if people if this is what people are telling pollsters you better listen cuz it's you know i mean this is where the rubber meets the road this is this is real time people saying our lives are degrading our 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 you know our money is worth less this week than it was last week in terms of purchasing goods and then you have the other effect of inflation which we haven't even talked about which is that when you know in 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 stores and packaging and stuff like that you know, they start giving you a little less bread. They start giving you a little less. There's a little less in the in the pasta box. There's a little less. There there are these conditions under which you you deal with inflation by keeping things at the same price. You know, as a consumer good, but putting less in the container. That's that's a different form of inflation. And people who who are you know basically living hand to mouth, they notice that too. They know they know that there's fewer, there's less leftover, or that there's you know less when they finish the box of pasta. There's less, there isn't enough for the family to eat. The you know they're they they they're they're left a little hungry, or you know they're left a little without the the full satiety that they want. So there are different forms of inflation. There are different things that are spiking people's opinions, and it's really happening. And that's where Abe is right. Like. You can't tell people that things aren't happening that are happening to them. I mean, you can, but talk about the sort of thing that is going to make you say, I just am not going to listen to a word you say from here on in. Well, and it's interesting that, you know, given the, the for example, you think about Americans with, with young children who are getting uh, some of these payments that are being directly deposited, uh, this, these child care payments that came out of the, the stimulus, they... Um, the, they all expect them to be temporary. And the, really the only message on the economy that we're hearing a lot of, besides the it's not inflation from the Biden administration, is we're going to be spending trillions of trillions of dollars, infrastructure, all these things. And I think, again, average Americans look at that and they're not getting the same message that I think the Biden administration thinks it's uh, saying with all this spending. They're worried about that spending, too. I mean, they are concerned about that money that the government is throwing in, into the economy. So because that's their money. <laughs> so I don't, I, again, I think that there's a weird, you know, we talk a lot about how much of the bubble the Biden administration lives in and whether they're drinking their own Kool-Aid too much. But I'm just surprised by, you know, oh, the experts are back in charge. And yet the experts messaging about the economy in general has been all over the place. Very confusing. Um, got, I got two other things I want to just move on to here because we have two interesting um confirmation things going on uh you guys are have probably been you know some of you have probably been following the case of tracy stone manning uh, uh nominated to be the head of bureau the bureau of land management who it appears uh in the late 80s was part of a group uh that was um spiking trees uh 
you, you know about the tree spiking, which was uh, Earth First was putting spikes in trees so that if loggers uh, tried to cut trees down, uh, their their um, you know their saws, uh, their electric saws would hit a spike and explode. Um, uh, this was one of the earliest forms of eco-terrorism. It was deliberately designed as a as a as as a form of terrorism, which is to say that you know every time somebody was going to go cut cut a tree down, they had to worry that maybe their you know their their buzzsaw was going to explode. Um, she has given very contradictory answers on what she did. Certainly, she was in, living in this collective that was doing it. She wrote a letter defending somebody. The people in it say she knew. She says she didn't know. She apologized. Also, it was 32 years ago, blah, 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 blah. So apparently the subcommittee has just voted out her nomination 10 to 10, uh, which means it will go to the Senate floor. And while I would not ordinarily suspect that, you know, right now Joe Manchin and, you know, and others, uh, and Kristen Cinema, Joe Manchin in particular here, has bigger fish to fry than to oppose the, you know, to... to she was also a population control nut. Um, right. She's one of these people who, you know, advocated against having children. Right, but that's... The, right. It hurts the planet. People hurt right. Yeah, but, but... So she's... But basically, she's in charge of America's uh, trees, <laughs> or, you know, fa- uh, America's fat... Not so fast-growing trees, existing trees. Uh, and... Um, and she was spiking them in order to, you know, potentially, uh, uh, or she was involved with people who were spiking trees uh, in order to hurt to, and kill people. To hurt and kill people. Yes, exactly. To kill so, loggers because right, the trees right. are more important than human life. That's what an eco terrorist believes. So, right, we shouldn't right. sugarcoat so, that. <laughs> right. So, no, but anyway, I mean, I, I assume, like I said, that Manchin has other has so much else that he is fighting for that he's not necessarily going to be the person who who uh, puts a spike in her tree. Uh, but, 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 but he could, and we just don't, we just don't know because uh, you know, uh, it's a it's a pretty significant thing and then we have our friend at the department of education uh whose name of course i've now forgotten catherine uh catherine laman uh, uh the the t- who was the title nine czar uh in the obama administration former assistant secretary at the department of education uh who will who will uh who uh, biden has uh has reappoint has uh, has nominated for the same job that she held, and her purpose is to reverse uh, the guidance on on Title IX relating to uh, uh, accusations of uh, sexual crimes on college campus. Christine, this is uh, this is an issue we've done a lot of work on. Uh, and I, I just want to read what she said because Robbie Robbie Suave of uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name is it Suave Robbie Suave Rico Suave of Reason who is you know really the best reporter on this matter uh, Richard Burr and and and, and it's her name is spelled L H A M O N so I'm going to say Laman but I, I don't know how it's actually pronounced. Um, Burr said, would you support keeping a presumption of innocence requirement in the current Title IX rule if the Title IX rule is changed? Laman, I'm trying not to overlawyer, but there isn't a presumption of innocence in the existing Title IX regulation. In fact, the Title IX regulation that the Trump administration took pains to note 
that criminal procedure does not apply in schools. Burr. But my question was, would you support keeping a presumption of innocence? Laman, yes, I understood that, but I couldn't keep something that is not there. It is not there now. This is an astonishing thing for her to say because the 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 rules revision that Christine will now talk about much more eloquently than I was all designed precisely to interpret Title IX as providing as 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 requiring a presumption of innocence when people when people are accused of committing uh, sexual assaults on campus. Yes, she. So uh, the entire revision process that was overseen by Betsy DeVos during the Trump administration years, just highly contentious. You know, there were a lot of uh, feminist activist groups that were opposed to this. Um, uh, Lemon by Lemon, by the way, was the the enforcer of the Dear Colleague letter that under the uh, Obama administration led to a lot of these uh, kangaroo courts on college campuses where where students would be accused. They were not allowed to see the evidence. They were not allowed to know who accused them. They were not allowed to have any sort of um, advice or, or, or uh, uh, lawyers advising them. I mean, the whole thing was was like, you know, if, if you've read Kafka's The Trial, you'll get a sense of what these experiences were like for these mainly young men on campus, many of whom then went on to successfully sue their universities and colleges for denying them due process and denying their civil rights and winning. Most of those cases have been won by the students who filed them and or settled by the university. So I think it's uh, not just most. I think it's like almost all overwhelming, like 95 percent. Yeah. So one of the things that Lehman did when hundreds of cases, by the way, hundreds of cases. When Betsy DeVos's Department of Education went through the regular rules making process where there were public comment period and revisions were all done, it was done by the book, which is not, by the way, what what the Obama administration had done. They just issued a dear colleague letter and started enforcing it administratively. So she did this. But at the time, Lehman um, wrote a tweet and she said that Betsy DeVos, quote, presides over taking us back to the bad old days that predate my birth when it was permissible to rape and sexually harass students with impunity. So, so she was so basically saying that actually introducing due process uh, into the uh, investigation of sexual assault or sexual harassment complaints on campus would allow students to rape each other with impunity. It's ridiculous. She was asked about this tweet during her hearings. This is the moment where, like Neera Tandon and others, she should have been furiously backpedaling, right, and trying to you know contextualize or whatever. She didn't. She completely doubled down and said she was open to the possibility that students could be innocent, but she didn't, she, that means she does not presume innocence. So by this standard, of course, as, as many people have noted, the accusations about sexual assault and sexual harassment made against President Joe Biden would be, uh, he, he should be assumed to be guilty of them. If he was a college, a male college student on campus under those uh, procedures that Lehman is now trying going to want to restore, he would be presumed guilty. So she really is a menace. And and um, she intends to try to undo this process. Now, I will say it's going to be pretty difficult for her to do that because DeVos went through the regular rules making process. They'll have to do the whole thing all over again in that way. I don't think a, a dear colleague letter is going to cut it this time because then courts are going to look at what's actually on the books as process and say, well, this is just an advice, you know, guidance is, is not as powerful as, as the actual administrative rules. So there'll be fights ahead, and the courts have actually been very sympathetic to students who have been denied due process. But we should make no mistake about what the Biden administration thinks due process is, which is uh, something that should be suborned to 
ideology. And in this case, the ideology that one should always assume an accuser is, <clears throat> is telling the truth and that someone who's been accused should not be presumed innocent. I mean, it, it's hard to have a sort of explosive revelatory moment with someone like her or people like that, because nothing that can be exposed is any worse than the policy we already know that they put in place and supported. That's already the massive outrage is, is, is what so many students have been put through this truly Kafkaesque experience uh, where you don't know who is, who is uh, supposing anything uh, that uh, who was accusing you of anything. Uh, you don't know the nature of it. You're not entitled to, to, to the presumption of, of innocence uh, or the idea that you need to uh, a, um, a sense of guilt beyond reasonable doubt. Everything about that is, is so scandalous. Um, and run so counter to our understanding of a free and uh, 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 fair justice system um, that there's nothing that she could say. There's no gotcha quote that could be any worse than than what she's actually been a part of instituting in American life. Again, yeah, it's, actually, it's a little it's a little worse. It's like the Colonel Jessup moment if he was very you know subdued, just kind of like yes, of course I ordered the code red, and here's why. Yeah. Um, in part because this is what they genuinely believe. She's saying, yes, of course, the uh, schools are going to be an alternative venue where we can subordinate constitutional rights to ideology, and that's the goal. Do something about it. She's daring can, you. I mean, that's kind of brazen. Can I just say it, it will also lead to something else that was was not much discussed under the Obama regime, but should and probably will come up perhaps uh, uh, under this one if they succeed, which is that uh, these kinds of uh, regulations disproportionately affected black men on campus. Now, Emily Yaffe wrote a couple of really great pieces exploring that. Now, that's not something any progressive Democrat wants to discuss, but it's a reality. So the, the, they're going to have a clash between their systemic racism folks and their sexual assault, sexual harassment folks over that issue if, they're, if they try to undermine due process. Due process is what protects everyone regardless of status, color, uh, gender, et cetera, et cetera. They, they are going to have a, a future issues with that, or that will become part of the narrative. It was, it only came out after post Obama before, but it's a reality as well. I mean, I don't even want to use the term dude process. I mean, because it, it, we, then we start getting into legalisms. This is a simple fact that there are two people, they go in a room together. One of them comes out and says, this happened. The other one says, this didn't happen. And then you create a system under which the person who says uh, this happened gets um, a preponderance of evidence standard according to which you are sort of to presume that what she is saying is true, uh, as opposed to saying, I, I don't know which is true. And then not only that, but these cases involve uh, moments of sexual congress where we know after the fact, days, sometimes months after the fact, a person says it was rape. Doesn't say at the time, doesn't say, decides, says that after a great deal of consideration and thought, she didn't really want it to ha she didn't want it to happen. He made it happen. After real serious consideration, now it was rape. And ordinary fair people using the reasonable man standard would say, "I'm sorry, you don't get to that's not the way 
That's not the way human relations work. You don't get to decide that somebody committed a crime against you six months later because you feel you've decided you feel a certain way about it. And that is how the world would have dealt with this sort of thing. And instead, what we get is this whole thing. It's like, now you're victimizing me. Now we're vi- every. If you don't believe me, uh, I'm, 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 I'm doubly victimized. And uh, this is the classic circumstance under which you have to say, how would you feel? How everybody is, needs to do this. Like, how would you feel if the kid who was accused was your son? That's all you need to do. It's your son, the kid who was accused. Kid says, went in, we had sex. I hear, I hear, I hear later that I raped her. And uh, and so, how would you feel if then the weight of an entire institution is brought down on that one kid who says I didn't do it? And he has no defenders. He has no right to a defense. He has no right to a to see the evidence against him. He has no right whatsoever, almost no rights. Which is why, which is why, when these cases are brought to court, these these bands they're overwhelmingly male. These these ma- these guys, these kids win. Well, and can I just add? None of this is to say that the problem of sexual assault or sexual harassment on campus isn't a, isn't a problem that should be dealt with seriously. But we know from decades of experience now that there are roles that have to be played in terms of educating everyone involved in any sort of sexual interaction on campus, meaning the young women also need to take responsibility for their own behavior. They need to be, they, they probably need to learn some self-defense techniques. They need to learn, you know, I'm sorry, but, but men are stronger than women on average. And there are things that you can do to help um, women be more empowered, that word that feminists love to use, about their own sexual experiences and about how to say no and when to say no and maybe don't get drunk and go to a party where you don't know all the guys and have friends who are checking on you. There are lots of strategies that should be taught to women. And campuses have a role in talking about that reality. Feminists don't want to, don't want the personal responsibility angle brought up at all here because that's called blaming the victim. But I think, you know, we know from experience now that that's a necessary part of this too. In the same way, it's necessary to have conversations with young men about consent and about what should be discussed beforehand and about their own personal responsibility here too. So that's the part of this right. that gets buried because if the assumption is, Anyone who has regrettable sex can say it was rape and then feel some vengeance against the person they had sex with. That's That's been the standard on far too many campuses for far too long. Yeah, I mean, the problem here is also the, the you know, the so campuses and, and these institutions long ago surrendered, in some cases because of legal decisions, surrendered the classic role of in loco parentis. Uh, in which you know they basically look at the institution as though it is a substitute parent, and therefore can say men can't come into this uh, dorm after dark, and uh, you know women can't go into a man's room after dark, and all that. That's all now seen to be hidebound and you know puritanical and Victorian, and was the wrong way to go about it. And they're also they're autonomous people, and we let them vote. <laughs> They can vote now and they can do so they and serve in the military, so they should be able to make these decisions on their own. And all of that is true, and that's fine. But you then impose not an in local parentis standard on the on on what happens and what all of those rules were meant 
to prevent or to or to inter or into or to make more difficult, which was precisely these drunken encounters uh, of people who uh, are are not mature enough yet to sort of understand how to how to maneuver their way through these things. And at that point, you turn into a totalitarian state, having been this entirely libertarian, licentious, rulesless, you know, sort of a weird place, mid place in the world in which you're just sort of like drinking 20 beers on a Friday night uh, in a state where you probably can't even drink till you're 21. Then something happens and then you're living in the Soviet Union. That's part of the weirdness here, and she, and 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 Catherine Lahman is a commissar. She is an ideological commissar looking to impose an ideological framework on lives that because on lives that she is attempting to ruin in service uh, to her ideology. Um, it's enough to give you a pain in the back, and you know what that means? That means it's time once again to discuss the ex chair. You've heard me talk about it. You're going to hear me talk about it uh, again and again and again. Because the ex-chair is not only an advertiser of commentaries. I sit in one at home every day when I am podcasting. What can I possibly tell you that I haven't told you about the ex-chair? As you know, the ex-chair has that patented dynamic lumbar support, lumbar support, already best in class, uh, and with that new patent pending LMAX temperature regulation system, it will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. It, it allows you to experience cooling heat and massaging your lower back. Look, if it's too warm, you can set LMAX to cooling. If you're, you know, if the air conditioning is like freezing out of your house, set it to heating. Uh, Stress from too many Zoom calls, turn on that massage therapy and relax. Uh, you won't believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. L- Extra LMX with that cooling heat and massage technology delivered directly to your core, regulates body temp, helps increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy, all perks that make working from home or the office a joy. There's never been a better time to ditch that old no-name office chair. Boost your productivity by treating yourself to the joys of X chair. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR to save $100 off your order. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchaircommentary.com now and use code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel Bladecasters, xchaircommentary.com. Noah. Um, Biden administration has given up on doing anything to interdict or to slow down or to sanction the construction of the Nord Stream pipeline that would bring natural gas from Russia to Germany, uh, bypassing the Ukraine. Um, uh, you've written about this over the, over the last couple of years. Uh, basically Biden administration says, look, there's nothing we can do about it. Anymore. We're, we're, you know, we, we said we were against it, but it's 90% finished. We love Angela Merkel. We're back. We're back. We want to be good allies, and there's nothing we can do. And the sanction would just hurt our friends. And so we're not gonna we're not gonna stand in the way anymore. What's where where are you? Where do you, what's your take? Yeah, I guess <clears throat> pretty much that um, the Biden administration prefers to frame this as a concession to Germany, not a concession to Moscow. Why not both? Because it's totally both. <laughs> um, 
yeah, the uh, pipeline is you know, was was mostly constructed, but it had been construction had been stalled for two years, and I think they <clears throat> only started uh, restoring uh, re, uh, construction in February of this year, in anticipation that the Biden administration would cave. Good bet. Um, and yeah, the practical effect of this is so this pipeline, just in case people don't know, is a is a pipeline that transits natural gas to Germany via the Baltic, around the Baltic states, around Ukraine, uh, which would otherwise get transit revenues from this. Um, so it, it essentially isolates them a little bit more, the post-Soviet states in Europe, a little bit more and gives uh, Moscow a little bit more control over um, their energy policy and, and deprives them of uh, revenues. And Moscow has wielded uh, natural gas exports like a weapon for the better part of two decades now. So, yeah, it does... Um, Put Ukraine in particular in a in a difficult position. Um, the president is getting a bilateral meeting with uh, Joe Biden. I think at the end of this month, so it's going to be a little awkward. Um, and I don't know if this is a geopolitically seismic event, but it could be a cumulatively seismic event in the event that we see more quote concessions to Germany unquote. Uh, you know, this follows along the report we talked about yesterday. I think it was yesterday about. Uh, again from Axios about the Iranians saying, eh, nope, we're not doing the JCPOA. No, no more Iran deal. Yeah, sucks. America's going to have to bribe us a lot more for us even to consider this. So we have the uh, Biden administration's spine uh, very much in question here in general. Um, uh, opposing the Nord Stream pipeline was a, uh, was a, ma- was a continuous matter. Um, uh, a matter of continuity, but both parties opposed it. Both parties said it was bad, uh, and uh, and and they're they're giving in on that. And of course, the Biden, the, the tough-minded Biden administration, apparently just you know threw whatever concessions it could think of at Iran, and it still didn't get Iran. So, Abe, what do you uh, what do you make well, of this? Also, in the yeah, it's also comes in the wake of um, Joe Biden having had this talk in person with Vladimir Putin about um, why Putin shouldn't um, uh, disrupt uh, the good working order of uh, free nations with uh, particularly by, you know, sponsoring cyber attacks and ransomware attacks um, really because it would make uh, this is Biden's argument sort of make Putin look small and make Russia look bad. Um, And then that being followed up with um, some pretty serious uh, Russia based ransomware attacks uh, in the U.S. Um, so I think we are we are seeing both the um, the failure of this, <clears throat> excuse me, idea that uh, we can nicely talk bad actors uh, into seeing things our way if we're just uh, not mean to them. We're seeing that fail again, as did with Obama. And we're also seeing what we knew um, would happen, which is, this the democratic hawkishness on Russia um, dissipating uh, with with Trump out of office. Well, and I mean, at China, he also remember he just he just they had a very firm statement about China doing all kinds of you know, cyber warfare as well, which I'm sure China is just quaking over that. You guys know I love uh, Team America. There's the scene right where you know 
the, the, the UN always gets the very firm letter that they yes. give to the dictators. You know, this, this is what you think of when you see that. It's like, well, I'm sure that's going to do the trick. And can I just say one word about Ukraine? That the idea that our that fledgling democracies are not still looking to us to be a beacon and a and a support for what they're trying to do, that we can just kind of say, oh, yeah, you know, you're on your own, you're fine. It, there is a real betrayal here uh, in, in, as Noah said, promoting this as some sort of, you know, oh, we're back with our allies. This is for Germany. It, it's also against Ukraine. It, it's going to harm Ukraine at a time when Russia is obviously trying to reexert power in that region. And that's not nothing. That should be part of the discussion right. that we're having publicly in terms of our foreign policy. And once again, we see Russia, a second-rate uh, economic and, and a second-rate military power, punching so far above its weight ge- geopolitically uh you know uh and part of this is is our elevation of the russian boogeyman uh, over the last four years leading us into this you know into these thickets in which uh, we should be treating russia the way we treat other countries of its economic size and its economic heft and we and 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 its influence and we don't we treat it as though it is the Soviet Union, uh, just not quite as strong and not quite as antagonistic and not quite uh, our, our our adversary on all on all continents. Um, and it, but it, but it's 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 just bizarre. Um, and by the way, the Europeans uh, act that way too. So uh, you know we're following uh, in an ignoble uh, in the ignoble f- footsteps here. Um, and with that, I think we will call a halt to these proceedings until tomorrow for Noah, Abe and Christine. I'm John Podhortz. Keep the candle burning.